Welcome to On Texas Football. It's Friday's live stream. Joining me uh, from inside Texas are Ian Boyd and Jerry Hamilton. Uh, Going to talk a little uh, Longhorn football, a little NFL draft uh, news and notes that we've got uh, that have uh, come in. Jerry did a, actually a nice little article, I thought, uh, this afternoon on Inside Texas about where some of the top draft picks uh, uh, from the state of Texas went to high school. A little revealing there, I thought. Uh, we're also going to talk a little NIL. And then, of course, we're always going to take your questions each and every Friday. Uh, but uh, we also have our weekly trivia question as well, where we give away a hat from Last Hand Hats. Uh, the Friday live stream is brought to you by uh, Andy Ludicky and the guys over at MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, Andy is your guy if you're looking to diversify or try to get in, get your hands into another business, uh, something that uh, may fit your time schedule or needs. Uh, if you're looking for the perfect fit for you, uh, contact Andy at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net uh, or just visit his website, MyPerfectFranchise.net. Andy's worked with several folks uh, from this On Texas Football podcast, he tells me, uh, and videocast. So that's a uh, uh, good news there. Hey, Jerry, uh, talking a little bit about the article you wrote today on Inside Texas, um, the top, uh, I think you said 16 or 17 guys uh, from the state of Texas, you did a geogra geographical breakdown of those players and where they were from. Uh, and tell a little, tell folks a little bit about what I'm talking about here and try to explain it to them. Yeah, essentially, I was just going through some of the mock drafts. You know, you're starting to get the three, four round, even seven round mock drafts. And so about this time every year, I kind of go through and see where the guys uh, that played high school ball in Texas, where they're from. And that could be high schools, areas with regions within the state, colleges they went to. Just try to get a, a yearly annual look at it and then go back and do a three, four year uh, look at it at, after draft time. So I was just taking a look at it. There's 17 guys mentioned. And there's going to be more than that. Obviously, I put another post down on Inside Texas. There, the, the list is going to change. but Really, you're looking at 23, 24 guys that are really going to be mentioned in the first four or five rounds of an of the NFL draft this year. And the DFW area of those 17 that I mentioned in the article, DFW area had the most six, uh, which isn't surprising. They that's where the uptick in talent in Texas has been here in the last three, four, five classes. Um, and Syntex had four, and when you count San Antonio South Texas, five. I mean. So that population growth in that area, I thought there's been a lot of really good prospects. We've talked about it, Bobby, 2022 class, this 2023 class. There's a little uptick in Syntex uh, right now with the population growth in those areas. Uh, and, and so it's just an interesting look around. And then you also always look at who Texas should have offered, who they didn't offer, and uh, kind of look back on some of those recruitments. Let, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, area breakdown. Uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily Austin leading the way for Syntex, uh, right? right? It was Colleen, Waco, Round Rock, obviously, with uh, Deuce Vaughn. Where was the fourth player from? Oh, we had Waco Midway, which was uh, Hodges, Hodges Thompson. Uh, Deuce Vaughn, Cedar Ridge. Oh, Cedar um, uh, Brandon Joseph College Station, the safety net with the Northwestern and uh, portal to Notre Dame. And then Quentin Johnson at Temple High, obviously a one-time Texas commitment there. Yeah, those those are those are interesting names. What was interesting to me was Houston was down in comparison. Just three players from the greater Houston area that you found. Yeah, uh, that's uh, Zach Evans, uh, Keandre Coburn, and Devin A. Shane. Which, by the way, all three of those guys were hits, highly ranked guys 
that end up being hits and are probably all going to go in the top three, four rounds in the NFL draft. Zach Evans obviously uh, should have gone higher, but that's on him. Uh, but then you have Mora Ojimo as well, Connor Galvin for Baylor. Those guys will end up drafted out of the Houston area. So it's good. That number will end up being five or six in the draft this year, but three guys right now being really mocked in the first three rounds from Houston. The DFW area, you had six players from, from uh, that area. What was interesting to me, one of the names really stuck out, and uh, that's Christian Gonzalez. Yes. Uh, you know, Texas went in on him late, you said. Uh, you told me offline, uh, but did not get in on him. And he ended up going to Colorado, then transferred from Colorado to Oregon last year. You know, what What was the deal with his recruitment? And is he one of those guys that Texas probably, uh, clearly now, they, they wish they would have got in on him earlier? Yeah, I think that's a guy that that Texas should have gone on earlier. He was ranked a four-star kid, top well, I think number three eleven in the consensus. So a solid four-star kid. And he was a kid that ran four four everywhere he went. Um, and, and I think some schools, you know, kind of just maybe it was recruiting other guys early. Uh, Gonzalez had a tremendous senior year uh, that they should have come. A lot of schools should have come back in on him. But then when he portaled out of Colorado, I mean, he went to Oregon immediately. Nobody really had a shot there. Uh, that was a pretty big win for Oregon out of the portal. And he's a guy, Bobby, he's not just projected to go in the top three rounds. He's projected to go as high as top ten right now in some of these mock drafts. So he's going to be a guy that people are going to be talking about on draft day. Um, his recruitment, um, probably his track times, how those track times probably gave a glimpse of what this kid could become. I believe he ran 10-7 as a senior, maybe even in the t- high 10-6s. So those track times and some of those testing numbers are going to give a glimpse into what this kid could have been, become out of high school and what he did become. I tell you what, uh, our uh, trivia question today is going to circle back to the NFL draft. But for right now, I want to hit uh, over to Ian Boyd. Ian, you wrote an article uh, this week on the defensive tackle group and what Texas needs to see out of the group after losing uh, Mora Ojomo and Keandre Coburn. And what I thought you had an interesting take on it. You said that Last year, it was pretty much, hey, run it, Keandre and Morrow. Well, those guys are both gone. Now, what do they do? Uh, give us a little take on that and what your insight was. Yeah, they really they really leaned on those two a lot. They tried to, from what I could tell, tried to structure their fronts so teams would have to run the ball uh, at Ojomo, Ojomo or at Coburn in order to, you know, to make their schemes work. They tried to get those guys, you know, in the intended path of the offense. They were both exceptional last year i think we all saw that they improved as pass rushers um i bet you their sack numbers would have been really good if texas had had a little more edge pressure to flush guys into you know into situations where they could have made more sacks but they were both quietly very very good last year in the run and against the pass and uh texas would even stagger them a lot they'd play like ojomo with uh murphy and then play coburn with like uh sweat those are probably the, the main groups you know then they're cycling broughton and whoever else alfred collins in there too so they have you know all these guys six defensive tackles that played regularly last year but they had two that they really counted on and so they need sweat murphy collins whoever probably betting on sweat murphy in particular to step up as guys that they can kind of scheme around guys that they can uh that they can ask to be you know, carry water for the rest of the defense and not just uh, make their plays while playing off of an imminently imminent draft prospect. Yep. I I feel like it's interesting because uh, our Jake Longy 
who you guys uh, know added to the staff, uh, wrote an article today uh, that was really good about uh, why he stood on the table when he was a Texas football analyst for Mora Ojomo. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we hear about this and think about it. I have a, an issue with the run stopping because of guys like Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton. Those are two of ostensibly two of your top four for next year. Neither one of them really at defensive tackle noted run stoppers first. Right. Yeah. Broughton in particular, uh, that one really long run that Washington had for a touchdown in the bowl game. If you go back and watch that, you'll see that Broughton got caught with a double team and just, you know, washed away. Um, and uh, Collins, call, he's just so inconsistent. Like, he may look dominant on a run snap one play, but then on the next, he's like late to the action and he's, you know, out of the play, behind, dragging. And you can't be a good run stopper if you're not consistent. You, you just, you'll just get bled out. So, yeah, those two. Big spring for those two in particular. Got you, it. Wonder, you wonder, like, if uh, – if Ryan Ross comes in at 285 and he's putting it together or Bryant has come, makes a leap in the off season, you know, those, uh, those snaps in this defense, you're not going to get snaps at defensive tackle on first down. If you're not a run stopper, if those young guys pass you up, then that's it. Yeah. That's why Jerry has been one of the reasons he's been so high on Sadir Mitchell throughout the entire recruiting process is because he knows that, uh, those guys, they tend to be worth their weight, you know, uh, so to speak. And I think that's a pretty smart deal. Um, all right. Uh, you know, hey, hey, by the way, Bobby, Bobby, the one guy we didn't mention on the uh, the guy, the guys from Texas are going to be drafted is Drew Sanders is now being mocked as a late first round, early second round guy. And we've talked about that before. The one portal miss Texas had last year, it kind of feeds into what uh, Ian was talking about was Drew Sanders. I mean, that would have probably been a difference in eight to ten wins last year for Texas, honestly. Ian? Yeah, I mean, he wanted to play inside linebacker. That's the point of issue. That was the, that was the weird thing. It was like, what do, you, what do you mean you want to play inside linebacker? What are you talking about? Have you, have you looked at NFL contracts? Like, what? That was the wrong answer. Um, and in Texas, there was a weird fit, right? Because they already had Ford and Overshone. It was like, we need, a, we need a buck. We need you on the weak side rushing. You'll kill it. You'll go to the NFL. And it was remarkable that that didn't work out. And then the kid bet on himself, and now he's cashing in. He had like eight sacks from inside linebacker, right, at Arkansas. Something wild like that. I don't know exactly how that works or what it looks like in the NFL, but what a weird – just unfortunate saga for Texas, really, that that all played out the way it did. We've got an interview. I'm going to interview Jake Longy uh, after this week and talk about uh, Mora Ojomo and his recruitment. That'll be out on Sunday. I hope to talk to Jake uh, this weekend uh, and get that out. That should be interesting. Also, tomorrow I'm speaking with uh, Paul Wadlington in our weekly uh, update as well. Uh, throwing it around the hat here a little bit, NIL has been something that we've talked about as it relates to recruiting for a while now. Uh, Texas A&M uh, on uh, Thursday, I believe, came out with the, the idea that the 12th Man Foundation is going to start raising funds uh, for NIL. Uh, the 12th Man Foundation is affiliated with the university, of, uh, with Texas A&M University, and controls their ticket resources. And if they can give points for their tickets to improve their tickets, they're going to somehow then spend extra money 
going into uh, the NIL bucket for AM players. AM players essentially are going to get money for promoting AM football, uh, which is a very interesting idea. Uh, Jerry and Ian, um, you know, we're so early in this NIL stuff, even two years in, we're early in what it really all means and where college football is going. Um, what do you all think about, about the latest development? Jerry, you start since you're so close to recruiting. Well, I think it's uh, I think it's actually interesting from a recruiting perspective uh, because, you know, it, it gives the kids the ability to promote Texas A&M football and uh, make money doing it. I, I think that's a, like you said, it's a very interesting idea. Um, honestly, I, I wouldn't be the one to have the opinion on the inner workings of that and what that could actually mean long term. But I think from a recruiting perspective, I think it's something kids will actually like. I think they'll respond to that pretty well. Well, I could see billboards of AM football players up sponsoring right. the 12th man in Houston, Dallas, etc. That all seems like I think Texas should do that at some level, right? If they if yeah, it's legal. Absolutely. Uh, the question is whether or not it's actually going to be deemed legal. And if it is, uh, I think that it's all over as far as uh, what, what people are going to think about uh, as what NIL really is. Ian, you look like you are either confused or have a question. Go for it, Ian. Well, to me, it should be legal. Like this is exactly, these are the people that want athletes to be paid. You're setting it up for them to pay them. And then you're paying them for exactly what they're doing, which is promoting the university and the, pro, and the athletics programs. So to me, kudos to Texas A&M for doing it this way. Um, I, I don't want them to have an advantage over Texas in recruiting, but um, I, it should work that way. I'm glad that they are testing it. I hope it works out for everybody to do it that way. The, the other way where you're like, you know, funneling money to the players, really for being football players, but ostensibly for, you know, whatever other purpose you're in is set up and made up marketing, right? Like these these linemen and defensive linemen are valuable for their the way that they make your team better and the way that they promote your team as a unit, not as individual players. But they have value to the program because of that. And it there's this weird way of trying to get their people, their players money, their like playing market worth and trying to translate that into advertising is weird. Who so is I, the last? Think about this. Who is the last defensive lineman? who had outsized market value for his play on the field. It's going to be a defensive end, right? No, I, I, I think I have the answer. Okay. So the best commercial of all time, you would be right. That would be mean Joe green in the Coca-Cola commercial. Oh, you're going. You know, yeah. But since that time, the only guy that I can really think of that's had that kind of personality uh, and was not a great player per se is William refrigerator Perry. Right. I mean, maybe he's had an outsized marketing ability. Uh, Siragusa, the lineman for the Ravens, was a good player, but he, he ended up being an NFL personality. You're right, Ian. Bottom line is defensive linemen, their, their value almost primarily is what they bring to the, to the actual on the field. They're not scoring touchdowns. Um, yeah, the sacks are, are nice and stuff, but unless you're Reggie White or Bruce Smith or one of these, transcendent players it's just not the same yeah it just makes sense to set things up to where the players can actually be compensated for what their actual value is like so so do we see bobby do you uh do we see this as driving along uh i-10 or 290 
And there is a billboard of Texas A&M football, David Hicks's picture on there saying, come support the Aggies. That's what we're getting at here, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think yeah. that would be great. The, the negative there, and, I, and this is what the NCAA has to decide, uh, because I do think that there's a very gray area here. The NCAA has been clear that you cannot get you cannot give NIL uh, for for and expect something in return for it uh, outside of just the NIL itself to the player. And the Aggies 12th Man Foundation controls their tickets, and so by giving more money to NIL, are you getting better tickets? And if so, that would be deemed illegal. I don't know all, to your point, Jerry, you said at the very outset, I don't know all the internet workings of how it's working. If it's working that way, my understanding is that it would be illegal. But I will say this, Aggies are trying to, to find a way around the rules. Everybody is. Right. Um, and so I don't blame, there's no blame game here or anything. It's just, you got to figure out what that is. I will say that that this brings us to the next segment. And this is going to be the, the trivia question, which is sponsored by Last Stand Hats. Uh, I think it's a, a good one uh, because we were talking about defensive linemen and not getting their just desserts, uh, so to speak. Uh, last stand hats. Uh, this each and every week we give away a free hat uh, to the first person in the chat uh, that answers the trivia question correctly. Uh, if you don't get it, you can still go to last stand hats and you'll get ten percent off. Just use the promo co code Bobby ten for ten percent off. I, I'm wearing a hat right here with a little Texas with the, uh, I don't know what kind of flower that is, but it's kind of cool uh, from Last Stand Hats. They have a bunch of unique and original uh, Longhorn hats and, and State of Texas hats that I think are really, really cool. Um, make sure you check them out. But here's the trivia question. First person to answer gets it right, uh, gets a free hat from Last Stand Hats. Who is the last number one overall pick in the NFL draft from the University of Texas? I, the Jeopardy song needs to be I look at Ian's trying to look at his brain. I can see, you can see the wheels turning on Ian. <laughs> I know this one shockingly. <laughs> Literally the, um, he was the first person I shook his hand. This guy that, that is the answer. And he, he basically grabbed my hand and enveloped it. It wasn't, it wasn't a handshake. It was like, he took my hand and it was just huge. Wow, this is crazy. The last Longhorn, and I think we got an answer. Here it is. If I'm Kenneth Sims. That's it. Yeah. Kenneth Sims has one of the best recruiting stories of all time. Ken Dabbs, the former, former recruiting coordinator at the University of Texas uh, during the 80s and late 70s for Fred Akers. Um, and and the, the question was first overall, not just first round. Ken, uh, Ken Dabbs said was at a, a high school in Houston one afternoon. And this was back when all the recruiting was really done in October, November, and December. Nobody really recruited juniors or anything like that. Ken Dabbs was at a high school and a coach from Rice said, have you seen that kid from Laverne or Gladewater, the big defensive tackle? And uh, Ken Dabbs told me, he said, oh yeah, yeah, we love him. He didn't know who, Ken Dabbs did, actually didn't know who he was. And Ken Dabbs used to be one of the, the heads of the Texas High School Coaches Association. He didn't even know where this town was that Ten Kenneth Sims was from. He had to call the secretary at the office, find out where the guy was from. And the next day, that's where Ken Dabbs was 
recruiting. Kenneth Sims ends up being a Longhorn first overall pick uh, for the New England Patriots. Okay, by uh, the way, and so Grosbeck highs where Sims was. So Grosbeck and Fairfield produced uh, Tony Brackens and Kenneth Sims. Pretty and Winfred Tubbs. And Winfred Tubbs as Fairfield is a pretty pretty big stuff. Yeah, no doubt. And, and Anna Nicole Smith, if we want to. <laughs> no, she's Hearn, I thought. I thought she was Hearn. No, 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 no. Oh. Sorry, I, I know this one. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry. This is why we have uh, just. No, it's, it's on the Wikipedia pages. If you go to Wikipedia, <laughs> you know, they're all on there. You know, this still happens. Patrick Mahomes was a uh, relative <laughs> unknown coming out of East Texas as well, even though. Justin Wells sent me his highlights uh, like around signing day when he was going to Tech. And I was like, who is this? This guy's better than anyone Texas has had in years. Can they get him? And he's like, oh, no, he's already signed with Texas Tech. And I was like, oh, great. Yeah, it, it they happens. Still they still hide out there behind the pine curtain. Yep. Uh, all right, here we go, guys. Uh, just letting you all know, uh, congrats to Bob Fasella. Uh, contact me at ontexasfootball at gmail.com. Uh, and we will get that set up for you from the guys at Last Stand Hats. Um, let's let's start the the next uh, next uh, part of this uh, chat, this live stream, and really just throw it open to questions. If you have questions, thoughts for Ian or Jerry or myself, uh, just light it up, and we'll get it going. Let's start with Joel uh, McWaters. When you guys say that a school is recruiting a kid hard, what does that look like? Just more contact with higher up coaches, Jerry. Well, I just think it's more contact, period. Um, there's a daily, uh, sometimes few every few hours when it gets it down to the nitty-gritty, but there's a difference between recruiting a guy to keep him warm and recruiting a guy that you really, really want to get in the boat. Uh, and that's really – the coaches have to play this, this – they have to walk a tightrope in recruiting so many times. But, you know, look, when if there's a guy that somebody really wants, they're going to have multiple coaches on him a lot of times. There, it's going to be the support staff. It's going to be everybody. You know, it's going to be mom has a birthday. They're all wishing her happy birthday. I mean, there's so many ways staff to staff that uh, they can go about it. But essentially, it's uh, you're going to get every bit of this staff's best effort when they're really locked in on a guy. And then there's some guys that, you know, look, the position coach recruits, the area coach recruits, they combo recruit that guy. We call it keeping, keeping them warm in the business. Maybe they aren't going after him as hard as uh, some of the other guys. Um, are or to, uh, a staff would be other guys, but that's that's really the main difference right there. And again, also how many times you try to get that kid on campus is a big one. Jerry, let's stay with you here, and and this is a uh, something that's uh, we're getting questions on. I think right now that's Deuce Robinson, uh, the tight end out of Phoenix. Uh, Mock Chanel asking, so Deuce favored to USC because of their TE development and great baseball? Really? Question mark. Well, Deuce's recruitment is is. Really interesting because the week leading up to signing day, I think a lot of people thought Georgia was the front runner. I had a college coach tell me if that family stays in Phoenix, that kid's going to go to USC or Texas. He won't go as far as Georgia if the family stays in Phoenix. I thought that was an interesting comment uh, from a college coach that they may end up being right. If the family sticks in Phoenix, I think this thing comes down to probably USC, Texas. And at that time, you know, Georgia, USC made Monday in homes the week of signing day, then Deuce didn't sign, or the week before. Texas came in that Thursday. Um, I was told by West Coast assistant college coach that they had heard USC made a lot of ground in that in home. 
Uh, but again, I go back to look, and I've said it on here before, where that family resides after Deuce is in college, I think is, you know, going to tell a lot of the story here. There was, you know, there was rumors that they may not stay in Phoenix. So we'll see. I mean, they, there's family in Texas. If that can end up at Texas, look, the mom grew up in Texas and Florida. She went to the University of Florida, swam at Florida. There's still family in the Austin area, still in the Dallas area. The father's from L.A. originally. He went to FSU, played for Bobby Bowden. Uh, so there's so many moving parts to the recruitment. But again, if they stay in Phoenix, uh, I think USC shot goes up greatly. If they if there was a move east, I think that helps Texas and Georgia big time. Got it. Um, I'm going to go to uh, Rob here. And then, Ian, I'm going to let you take this one. Who replaces Quinn should he go down? I am thinking if he gets knocked out again, and it did happen, uh, we should let Malik be the come out of nowhere hero. Um, fair or is, I mean, can Arch Manning really be ready in, you know, four months, five months now? I mean, maybe. It's, he is a Manning. <laughs> That's the, Peyton played his, I think Peyton played either the first or second game after their quarterback went down. Yeah, I believe that's how it went for him. Um, that's the, the Manning pedigree is supposed to be, you know, the high level preparation and, and ability to, to translate things quicker. I think that's kind of, that's kind of what we're waiting to, to see this spring though, right? Is whether, uh, you know, first of all, if Quinn really has the starting job on lockdown and then secondly, who the most ready backup is. And there could be a thing also where, um, you know, in an emergency, maybe they feel more comfortable with Malik. Maybe if they had a little more time to prepare, they would rather put Arch in. Um, there's a lot we don't know. I, I definitely don't know yet. I haven't seen I haven't seen Malik or Arch throw against a college defense yet. Um, so you know, we'll, this spring will tell us a lot there. Well, I, I, th- I think Ian brings up a good point. A lot of times, it's. Um, um, a starter gets knocked out for a couple of series. Who's your backup? Starter's lost for the rest of the season. Who's your quarterback? I, I, I think there could be two different answers to that. I think Malik's kind of going to be a fascinating guy to watch in a lot of re- aspects. Is the and, and I mean this. What we talked about before, when you go through a mechanical overhaul like he did, it goes one of two ways for kids normally. Because the one thing you don't know about a mechanical overhaul right now is he hasn't played where the walls are closing yet. And that normally goes one of two ways. Guys either, okay, they can take what they've been working on and take it to the field. I call it under live bullets, scary term, but you know what I'm saying, when the walls start closing, when it's real, and they can take it and transfer it to the field. Or they revert. Or they revert to what they've always done, arm drops, because they feel the pressure, what they've always done their whole life. We don't know which way that's going to go. Some guys can make the transition. Some guys can't. I think that's going to be interesting to watch with Malik because that's a pretty big overhaul they did with, with his throwing motion. I mean, you're going from a guy who had a loopy long arm to a guy who you're really wanting to make compact, a lot more compact, because he's a pocket passer only. That's the thing to know about Malik. He's a pocket passer. So the ball's got to get out quick. All right. Uh, this one comes from Albert Pollard. Justin mentioned yesterday that DJ Campbell, uh, the uh, offensive lineman, might not play spring ball. We already know that Connor Robertson and Cole Hudson are both out for spring. This would be a big loss for the Longhorns. How serious is his injury? I texted with Justin uh, about this, and we do not know the seriousness of it yet. So we're waiting uh, a little bit to to talk about that uh, in more certain terms. 
Uh, but as of right now, we do not know. Uh, keep your fingers crossed, uh, everybody. Uh, Jerry, back to you real quick uh, from Rodolfo. Uh, since I, I think Colin Simmons is going to LSU, he's already given him up. Yeah. Uh, state's number one pass rusher. Who's Texas going after the next key target? I'm, I'm assuming at that position. Well, yeah, I think I think it's to be determined. I mean, uh, Zena, uh, Yumeo Zulu is coming in uh, March 25th. There's going to be a lot of out-of-state kids come in. I, I, Colin Simmons, I think, is a long way to go. We'll see what happens with that. Um, I'm not conceding any kid like that early. That that I can say. I mean, not with Georgia, not when LSU, not when Texas, not when Alabama, not when all the heavy hitters are involved. Uh, too much can change. Too much can happen. That recruitment will play out a little bit. Um I don't think any schools thinking they have him. I don't think any schools conceding him at this point. Got it. Um, Ian, this is from Dave Williams. Deep down, I hope it doesn't happen, but I expect Jatavian Sanders to turn pro after this season. I actually think – I hope it doesn't happen too, but I agree with you. I think that uh, he's likely to head, head to, uh, to the league. What happens for him to remain at Texas? A bad Something season bad. maybe? I mean, what, what would – Nothing he, good. <laughs> Yeah, uh, nothing good. An injury. Yeah, you want you want, him, you want him to go pro. You want him to have a great season and go pro. Um, they need him this year. In another year, they could probably uh, reconfigure the offense around some new stars. For next year, they really need Jatavian Sanders to be good. Uh, for viewers' sake or if viewers were to collapse or get injured or something, for whoever steps in the sake. Um, so, no, it'd be an injury. His talent alone, right? Doesn't he already pretty much have enough on tape to be drafted as long as the season is reasonably good? Yes, but his blocking is lacking. So, But enough to be drafted? I think he's, he looks like O.J. Howard to me, who went way higher than I thought. And O.J. Howard, for whatever people said, was not a bulldozer blocking for Alabama. So, uh, I yeah, I think he's already pretty much gone. Not now mentally, he seems very present, right? Yeah, um, I know we get what you're saying. It's not a it's not a negative. It's just let's let's talk in realities. Jerry, you look like you're chomping at the bit to talk. Well, yeah. So I agree with Ian. Like whenever these topics come up, you want all the guys to go pro because that means you've had a damn good year on the field. <laughs> you want Quinn to have a decision to make. You want Sanders to say, "Man, I'm a first or second round." You want a Bijan to have to go pro this year. Because that means he's a first rounder. Uh, I mean, so I, I want all these guys to have easy decisions. Xavier Worthy, AD Mitchell. If Texas talent comes through as NFL talent, you're going to win 10 or 11 or 12 games next year. That's the way I look at it. I mean, look, you could look at a guy like Alfred Collins. If he suddenly becomes a fourth or fifth round draft pick, you know how much better player you got as a senior than you did as a junior? Yep. I mean, that's what you want from you want Jalen Cowell to be an NFL draft pick because that means he had a healthy season. Um, and that's where the portal's great for the blue bloods. You can replace guys, but you want all these guys to play like draft picks this year in year three for Sarkeesian because that means you just took a big step on the field. Um, and, and, and but by the way, Jatavion Sanders, you know, one thing I, I noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed this year because there's areas, I think there's two areas he can improve. Um, and really ele keep elevating himself. One, blocking like Bobby said. Two, he's got to get better sideline awareness. There were a lot of times where he caught the ball and was drifting too far, too close to the sidelines to where that's not a maximized catch at the next level. He's got to have a little bit better sideline awareness 
this next season if he gets as many chances at the sideline. I thought that was one area that he was kind of lacking last year as far as maximizing his talent. Quarterback may need to get the ball out quicker on that too. A yeah. little bit. I mean, let's, you know, th that's part of it, I think, as well. Right. All right. Um, we've got a number of questions coming in. Keep filling them up. That's what we're going to do. Uh, the last half hour here is basically take your take your questions. Chris Barr, you're, uh, you're next with your question. Uh, but first, I need to say thank you to our sponsor, Andy Ludicky of my MyPerfectFranchise.net. Uh, stuck in the corporate rat race with two weeks PTO and no control over your destiny or the money you can make. Call Andy. He will take you through a process to help find a business that will fit your skill sets and financial goals. Franchise ownership isn't for everyone, but if you have a desire to take control of your destiny, call or email Andy at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. Um, let's go to Chris's question. And this, the end. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you. They're asking for your thoughts specifically. I don't know. I don't know if fantasize is the right word that uh, Chris used here, but what? Who does Ian Ian fantasize about changing positions this off season? That's a great question. Yeah, I tried to move Rashawn to middle linebacker last year, <laughs> or the year before, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's usually a couple. I one that I um, I'm not ready to do this one yet because we need to see how that new throwing motion looks. But uh, we passed around a picture of Malik Murphy in the workouts in the uh, in the IT in the IT chat, and uh, he looks like a big scary dude. And I'm kind of wondering if that guy might be a, a spin down if quarterback doesn't work out to uh, tight end or even offensive tackle like Lane Johnson. I don't know if y'all remember him. I think he was like. Juco quarterback went to Oklahoma. Was going to maybe play tight end and kept getting bigger. Now he's one of the best linemen on the best offensive lines in the NFL um, with the Eagles. So I kind of wonder about that for him. And um, another another Savion one. Savion Red's already moved. Yeah, so Savion that could have been one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that there's any other any other glaring ones just yet. Um, I've got one, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Jerry next. Jerry, what do you think? Yeah. Well, mine hadn't hit campus yet. Derek oh, Williams is being that's exactly that. you're not. That's not legal. That was mine. Who was it? He took mine. Derek Williams. If he ends what? up being six four two third two thirty, I mean, like Roy Williams, the old safety Roy Williams at OU as a linebacker now, pretty scary animal. I mean, that's, that's about that's, that's about ideal actually. Yeah. So how big is he right now? He's 6'2", 190, 195, but his dad's 6'6", the mom's 6'6", six six and when I was at Westgate, both times I was at Westgate, the head coach, Coach Antoine, said the same thing. This guy, we may, we're may we thinking he may end up being 6'3", 6'4", 220, 230 one day. I kinda, so sorry, Bobby, I took yours, but I was – I, I kind of hope not because right now he looks to me like Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. He's going to be a good dude. Or he has the range to stay back and just be everywhere. So I, it'd be nice if he could stay back. I mean, I can't complain if he's like 6'4", 240 with the same athleticism. I can figure that out. But The, the problem with that for Texas would be Jelani McDonald and him. Yeah. You, you know, you don't want those guys being forced in that end up in the same position to me. That wouldn't be good for Texas. You want Derek Williams to stay safe. The one thing I noticed about Derek at the Under Armour game the practice, he had feet as good as any corner there. And I think when Sarkeesian, Michael Griffin, they said this guy could be a first-round pick, I think they're kind of referencing the, okay, this guy's got the feet of a corner nickel safety guy. 
but he's got the safety size. I mean, so uh, that's what one of the things in the physicality that makes him such a dynamic prospect for me is the feet to go with the frame, the size, and the physicality. I, I would want him in nickel then so that you could uh, you get the best of both worlds between an outside linebacker and a, and a corner like Jade Barron. Isn't that possibly I, – I, look, we talk about Jelani McDonald spinning down to linebacker, but isn't he almost like the perfect nickel? Can he Sorry. cover? I, can, he, can he cover? Yeah, the answer is yes. In Texas, you want your nickel to be able to turn and carry a vertical against a good slot receiver. If they can do that, then great. But if they can't do that, then you end up being put in a box a little bit with what you can do coverage-wise. And they have to be very, very impactful to make up for the loss of flexibility. So – uh I, we'll see on him, but he—I know he played like man coverage in the in the whatever high school bowl game he was in. So maybe. Yeah. All right, Ian. We're going to stay with you. Uh, will Alfred Collins? This is from Bob Fussell. Will Alfred Collins fulfill expectations? What has been his hold, holdback? The guy appeared to have so much talent. Jerry can speak to that because he's always been high on Alfred. Uh, what have you seen thus far, Jerry? All right. Excuse me, Ian. The the main thing that has stood out is that he's not been comfortable in the scheme. He doesn't react very quickly. Um, they moved him out to Jack year one with Pete Kwiatkowski because he just wasn't not getting it inside a defensive tackle. You have to be – your reactions have to be like that because before you know it, one or two 300-plus pound dudes that are 22, 23 years old and know a bunch of dirty tricks are trying to take your head off. So if you're not, if you're not just reacting and playing, then it doesn't matter how athletic you are. You're going to get mauled. Um, and he had a lot of issues. He's been a little slow to pick up the scheme and, and what it's asked of him. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the switch that needs to be flipped is. If it's just comfort, if it's something about this just doesn't click with his playing style. Uh, maybe Jerry has some insight there. I, I feel like this year we could see it though. We see flashes. We've seen a lot of flashes. Jerry. Yeah, I mean, look, I'll challenge the guy. I, I want him. I want to feel like he wants to be an NFL player every time he takes a snap. I'm not sure I've seen that. Uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy that Nick Saban battled for. Okay, yeah. those are that, that's how talented this kid is. I, you know, it, it's interesting. Maybe staying close to home wasn't the best thing for him in some ways. Sometimes guys need to get away. Um, but I, I'm kind of kind of challenged the guy. Not that I, my my words will mean anything other than ranking him coming out of high schools. I, I want him to play with hair on fire this year. I want him to play like a guy that's going that wants to be a draft pick and not a guy that just wants to mix in and be a role player. All right. Uh, next one from Aloha Traveler. Hey, guys, here in Texas is looking to build a new indoor practice facility to be ready for the 2025 season. What are you guys hearing? I talked to uh, Chris Del Conte, the athletic director at Texas, uh, two or three months ago about this. Uh, they were um, in in the phase of raising money for the project. Do I know the exact timeline of that project of 2025? I do not. I know that it was on the agenda, and they're trying to get it done. Hey, question, uh, question, we'll Bobby. That some people may not know where would that where would they put it? Would they just knock down the existing? They're they're attempting to move it somewhere closer in in campus, uh, whereas the existing bubble is on the right. very very east side of campus, 
nuzzled up to the freeway I-35. They're actually trying to put it closer to the uh, uh, closer to excuse me closer to campus, uh, so it's easier for the guys to get to. They don't have to bus over there every time, uh, etc. Uh, I think I think uh, I think that they're looking at possibly moving one of the current schools. Uh, that uh, they might have to build a new building for a, another school, et cetera, uh, behind that. All right, we'll go We'll go with this one. This one's from Michael Hernandez. Hey, Bobby, with the draft class that coach has this year, 2023, y'all think if we, he wins eight and four, he would be on the hot seat? Uh, depends on whether or not the quarterback is healthy. Because um, a healthy quarterback at eight and four, I think, would be a di- disappointment. Uh, Jerry, Ian, what do y'all think about that? I think the exact same thing. Um, if you're eight and four with Arch Manning playing the back half of the year, you're fine. If you're eight and four with Quinn Ewers underachieving all season and you're heading into an off season with Ewers coming back and then Arch wanting to take the reins, that's a lot of drama. That's a lot of pressure that they're not going to want. Um, the schedule's easy. So, yeah, it depends a lot on the, on the context. Famous last words, the schedule is easy. Jerry, what do you think? Uh, boy, I do think the schedule's easy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, um, eight and four would be a tough one for me unless there were a lot of injuries on the offensive and defensive line. I, I just – I have a hard time seeing that. Um, yeah. So, hot seat, I don't know. Um, the national hot seat with the media, absolutely. Hot seat within Texas, I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I think this uh, – I think Arch Manning and Steve Sarkeesian are going to have a chance to uh, make this thing work together um, at long term, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, right. I think I think Sark, as long as he has the Arch Manning card to play, is fine. You don't fire that guy and risk pushing Arch Manning out until you've shown that you know, that's that that's not going to work. So got it. And and I'm also with Jerry on the even if they have to play Malik Murphy, honestly, their advantages on the line should be enough this year that they can still win a lot of games. Got it. Uh, Jerry, this is uh, primarily for you from Jesse. Uh, Zion Kearney is not being recruited by UT, question mark? I was actually – I actually stopped by Hightower yesterday, and there's no update on that. Um, it does not look like Texas made a big push there at all. Um, he actually released his top six yesterday. Uh, I think it was um, Texas a and Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma was very much in there. Uh, I can't remember the other schools that were in there. Uh, but the interesting thing with me was – you know, the, the head coach at Hightower is Cornelius Anthony, a former Texas A&M linebacker, played at Elkins and briefly in the NFL. A&M hasn't even really asked Anthony about him. So recruiting is different nowadays. It's really an interesting process. But, um, you know, you would think A&M's recruiting Kearney, but they had asked the guy that played there really for the thoughts on him because he's so high on Kearney. Uh, but that's not one that Texas has made a big effort on to this point. Let's see what happens when Chris Jackson evaluates these kids in the spring a little bit, see if things change. By then, it may be too late. Obviously, Texas has already been evaluating guys. They offered Bryant Wesco out of Midlothian not too long ago, who was probably a top two upside receiver in the state with Micah Hudson. But Zach Kearney is a kid who's 6'3", 205. He's going to time 4'4", 4'4", most places. Um, he's running on the high tower track team right now. I, I suspect he'll look really good in uniform running the 4 by one um, here coming up. I think they had their first meet yesterday. Uh, but it, Texas is not doing a lot with him. He's a talented kid. Um, it'll be interesting to see. That's one of the things. And more than Kearney, I'm really watching 
in May when Chris Jackson gets out and evaluates the kids at the position in the state, if that board changes at all. Speaking with uh, Jerry Hamilton and Ian Boyd of InsideTexas.com, I'm Bobby Burton, and this is on Texas football. Uh, we've got a cu- few more questions. Please keep uh, the questions coming. This is a one of the fun things that we do here is we try to get to as many questions as possible uh, to make sure you guys uh, get the your fill of what we're thinking on Longhorn football uh, and other sports. Uh, let's go ahead and start with this one and, and go back to the go back to the questions right now, Ian. For you, uh, what te- what is Texas's best position as far as production next year? Well, they don't they don't have really many counting stats for offensive tackle, but that'd be probably the front runner for me. Um, Kelvin Banks. Every time I go back and watch Texas clips from last year to to try to spot things I didn't see during the season, I'll invariably catch. Kelvin Banks just taking somebody on a ride on a random play. He is a completely dominant player. Um, there's no one, no one else in his class in the league next year, I don't think. And uh, Christian Jones, pretty good too. So not only is, are they really good on those two ends, but they're good in a way that most teams are not in this league. So I, I kind of like that as the, as the strongest, probably the secondary would be the other one. The secondary is loaded. If Jalen Catalan is healthy and their starting five plays most of the year, maybe honestly, even if the starting five doesn't play all the year, uh, they have a they have so much back there, and they should put up some measurable stats as well. Hey, hey, Bobby. By the way, it's, I, I don't. I'll get to throw a trivia question out to y'all. Say Christian Jones. He may be a guard in the NFL. Going to be a right tackle at Texas. When's the last time Texas started two offensive tackles that were drafted? Uh, 2000. I'm guessing it was Leonard. Leonard Davis and Mike Williams. No, no, no. It was it was Justin Blaylock and uh, Jonathan Scott national title team. Yeah, that's Left what I was going to say. Right. 2005. Um, and then the other time was Leonard Davis and Mike Williams. That's the only two I can remember for a while. Actually, in 2013. No, because uh, um, who's there? Connor who's our, and Cosby crossover. Who's our guy that's like a trainer in DFW now? Um, Donald Hawkins. Donald, I don't think he was drafted. I think he was undrafted and he had a decent career. Um, so, yeah, he's got to be 05. Ulatoski was not drafted, so that wipes out the other half yeah. of the decade, right? Yeah. yeah, so let's just say it's been 17 years. <laughs> RJ Yarbrough, Bobby, with the offensive weapons on tap this year, if Quinn doesn't take that step forward – is that on Quinn or an indictment of Sark? How about C, both of the above? You know, I I think any of those could be possible uh, because I think that, look, at some level, I'm a big believer that the player is what the player is, and it's his responsibility to get better. At the same time, if he's not improving, then Sark is going to have to go to somebody else. Um, I, I don't think that's going to come to pass. Uh, but that's just how I see it. Jerry, Ian, either of you feel differently? I'll blame Quinn more because it's not like Sark hasn't had success with like 20 other guys at this point in his career, you know? That's true. So, yeah. I mean, he needs to do it. It's going to reflect poorly on him, but ultimately Quinn's got to make the most of unreal God-given talent. Got it. Um, All right. Let's go here um, and go to Casey Lane. Uh, is the offensive line shuffle in the spring going to be the most interesting position group to monitor, especially with Christian Jones returning? 
We just talked about DJ Campbell's potential injury. What what are y'all thought? What are y'all's thoughts here? Yeah, before the injury, uh, it, it, we'll see what happens with that. By the way, um, yeah. uh, it, it was already because with Cole Hudson out and Connor Robertson out, um, that was going to make for some shuffling on the offensive line. Connor Robertson, the backup center, obviously, but somebody's got to work there. Um, I think it's going to give Neto a great opportunity. Now, if DJ's out, then Neto has a chance to really make, take a position and run with it this spring, I, I think. I mean, look, he is a very talented guy. Um, I think if you put lined up all the guys with the most upside uh, on the offensive line, I think you have Banks and you have Cam Williams. I'm not sure Neto's not three on that. Uh, DJ Campbell's a great athlete, but he doesn't have the length some of these other guys have. Um, if we're talking like NFL prospects and just how much upside they have. But Neto is so devastating in the run game. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch and, you know, see see how good like Malik Ogbo, who came in with great feet, um, answered the bell physically, see how he does this spring with more opportunities and more reps. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch um, yeah, to see what happens. But I look for Neto to be a guy that really takes a step this spring. I got another position change for you, Bobby. <clears throat> Let's uh, if uh, Hudson and Campbell miss spring, if if they do, um, move Jones inside to guard, start Cam Williams at right tackle, and yeah, maybe pair those two on the on the right side. Just have seven hundred pounds of women coming downhill all the time. <laughs> well, they need a pass protector. I think that I think Chris Jones and pass protection hampered Texas quite a bit this year, actually uh, keeping having to keep an extra tight end. I think Texas wants to move away from that, particularly after seeing Quinn's effectiveness at times in the Alamo Bowl uh, when they went three wides. Hey, uh, Brian Hiddle has a question here. Uh, Jerry, I'll let you take this one. Cedric Baxter and Jonte Cook pro comps. Cedric Baxter have had two. Um, Charles Power and myself had two. Uh, Larry Johnson. Old Chiefs, Penn State running back, and Melvin Gordon. I mean, those those are kind of the two when we looked at him uh, that we kind of said, okay, okay, yes, yes, yes. Jontae Cook's interesting. I, I, that's one um, I'd have to put some more thought into, really. I haven't looked at that one close enough. Baxter kind of jumped out to me um, in, in, in that regard with a couple of guys. I think running backs are easier sometimes. Uh, let me think on Jontae Cook. Maybe I'll have something by the end of the show. Man, I'm one of those guys from like the greatest show on turf, Rams. <laughs> Isaac uh, Bruce was a flyer, though, man. Who's the other one? Tory Holt. Yeah, they yeah. both could fly. Holt was a taller guy too. Maybe a little, maybe a little generous at this juncture, but yeah, yeah. I, um, I think he's more long term. I think he may be more of an underneath guy, quicker feet. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it's a good question, Brian. All right, uh, from Ski Breck. Uh, what position room, this this relates to recruiting, what position room will be the top priority in the 2024 class, Jer? Uh, D-line edge, combine it. I mean, a front, uh, front seven defensively on the line is going to be huge, um, especially, you know, with that move getting closer to the SEC, wanting more large humans. You're already seeing that. They're targeting bigger bodies on the interior, but they're also targeting bigger bodies on the edge. Um you know, there's a kid up in Connecticut, Benedict Yume, when he was offered, 
there's a question, are they getting Texas going to recruit him as an interior guy, as an edge guy? Well, he's an edge, he's been recruited as an edge guy. He's good. I think he's gonna be one of the top kids in the country when all the rankings are said and done. And there's a kid like Charleston Collins up at uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas, who's a bigger body edge kid. Uh, could be recruited inside, could be recruited edge. Texas recruiting him at edge. So you're seeing that board shift in terms of the size of the human beings on the interior and on the edge, which is, again, telling which way they're headed as far as their future conference um, and how they're adjusting their recruiting strategy. So I'm going with both of those positions because they got to get bigger bodies in their mind. Got it. I'm going to say thanks one last time to our sponsor uh, for this program, and that's Andy Ludicky of MyPerfectFranchise.net. Stuck in the corporate rat race with two weeks PTO and no control over the money you can make or your schedule in general. Call Andy. He will take you through a process to help find a business that will fit your skill sets and financial goals. Franchise ownership isn't for everyone, but if you have a desire to take control of your destiny, call Andy or email him at Andy at MyPerfectFranchise.net. All right, uh, we've got a few more questions here before we're at the top of the hour, and uh, we're going to take this one first uh, from Danny. Wonder if NIL is playing negative part in players putting in the work because they feel that like they've already earned it. I'm going to say this. I think it depends on the player. I, I really do. I mean, I feel like uh, some people, it motivates them. Some, it demotivates. I think it all depends on whether you're not, what what your goals are as a person and as a player. It's no different than any other scope of life, right? I mean, if there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, you work harder, um, even if you're getting paid at the same time. And, and I think that's the case on a football field or in the in a locker room. The guys that were getting paid before or not getting paid before, they're the same guys they are when they're getting paid, in my opinion. You don't change just because of the almighty dollar, at least not I, the good ones. I think it's a great conversation because the one way I've always looked at NIL is it's really going to – separate who loves football and who doesn't to your point Bobby I mean um, I think there's all a de-recruitment phase for every high school athlete when they get to college I think the de-recruitment phase is a little bit more for some of these kids right now Um, but I think that it's absolutely gonna separate who really really loves football and who doesn't Uh, because I do think look these some of these kids have an opportunity to go through college and never have a house payment in their life and not play a game of professional football. That's a game changer for these kids' lives. So who really loves football? I, I think that you're going to see some massive flameouts due to NIL, and then I think you're going to see uh, really be able to tell who loves the game and, and, and wants to be gr- truly great at it or maximize it. The real, trick, your thoughts? the real trick of it is the transfer, the one-time transfer. Because if I'm a four-star kid, I come into school, I haven't done anything yet, but maybe I play a position of priority and I can hold that transfer over my school to uh, increase my NIL value uh, before I've even done anything. Without that transfer, that same leverage isn't there. Like you kind of need to earn it a little more. And so I agree with you guys, but I think that with the transfer rule, the kids that may have been prone to uh, just chasing the short-term dollar over the long-term dollar it's that issue is, is exacerbated. Yeah. I mean, it's an easy out, yeah. right? And, and that's what, that's what I, I mean, liking or hating. That's one thing that Bob Stoops ranted about and was really upset about 
because of that that transfer rule. Um, all right, this was an interesting one. Ryan Nelson, Hayden Connor to Jumbo TE. So I I had heard, and I think uh, Jerry and Ian might be able to confirm this, or one of them. I, I had heard Texas isn't really looking to replicate this year what they got from Andre Kerich last year at least not during spring practice. Correct. Uh, you're hearing that as well, Jerry? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's going to be a rush to replace that role with a person right now. I think that shuffling off offensive line, getting that in the rotation set is uh, number one, two, and three this spring. Yeah. Ian, you agree with that take? I mean, I, how, how effective really was that, in your opinion, that whole jumbo TE look? Well, pretty effective. <laughs> with okay. I mean, that's, that's what I'm asking. Well, here's the trick of it, though, is that you uh, you invite a safety to just sit on everything underneath and in the run game, and you only the trade off is that you have good enough protection to stretch the ball down the field. And uh, when Texas couldn't hit the deep throws, then it became more of a liability because you're taking a receiver off the field, and the defense has one less thing to worry about on their uh, on their grocery list at every play. So. If they can keep it, if they can hit deep shots to Worthy this year or to somebody else, then it could be very valuable. If not, they're probably better off without it because they're so good with banks and they should be pretty good in protection overall. So, I I would think that they would probably rather not need it, but it it definitely was useful, especially earlier in the year before teams kind of figured out that uh, Texas couldn't hit the post. All right, Ian, stay here. Keep the keep the camera solely focused on Ian. K Drag says Baron Jade Baron will be <laughs> the defensive MVP uh, this year. Uh, Ian, you agree? Jerry, we'll get your we'll get your thoughts next. You need the counting stats for those awards generally. Like Jalen Ford ended up there because of the gazillion tackles and the interceptions. Um, I, it's possible. It's possible. There's a world where Catalan picks off like five passes and has a gazillion tackles in a healthy season. Uh, kind of the same for Jaron Thompson. There's a lot of competition for that award. I, I would. A lot of it is just going to be who the who the tipped pass flutters to, and so I uh, I, I wouldn't want to give it to Baron just yet, but I, he'd be on the the watch list. Jerry, uh, if it's not Jalen Ford again, boy, something went wrong against the run. I agree. <laughs> That might be true. That I, I mean, I completely and utterly agree with that. I mean, because if – or, or, the only or to that is, to Egan's point, one of the DBs just has a supernatural kind of luck. Right. Not a lucky year, but some tip balls go his way. Um, and he ends up with five or six INTs, you know, instead of the, the typical two or three. Right? Yeah. And, and then I could see it, but – if Ford doesn't have a hundred plus tackles again, I don't know what to tell you. There's also the the sacks. You know, if, Bar- if Baron Sorrell has ten sacks, then Ford will be yesterday's news, even if he's a much better player, and it'll go to Sorrell. You know. Hey, true or false? Uh, this is from Gray Man. Uh, Savion Red is a better third down running back than Jaden Blue or Kalen uh, Keelan Robinson. Uh, Jerry, you t- you track this one because you know you've seen more blue from high school. He hasn't really shown much as well as red almost. I actually going to agree with this. Um, 
Maybe even even than Keelan Robinson. Well, Keelan's experience, right? And, and he's it, a good pass protector, I think, for his size. And, and in space, he's a dangerous guy, uh, or can be. Um, I just I like Red's. I like his physicality. He has he has the physicality and the physical mindset of a running back. I don't know if Jaden Blue does. I haven't seen that out of him. So I think between those two, um, I, I could see Savion Red taking a step past blue. I mean, I, that's not going to surprise me at all. I'll just say that. All right. I, I, I can see, I, I would basically say, I don't know. Uh, I want to see them all. I want to see blue and red in true pass protection situations. Cause I think both are good out of the backfield. I think the thing that red brings that maybe blue and Robinson do not does not is the potential as a true inside runner as well. Yeah. First down back. Yeah. He's moving because he could be a first down back. If they just needed another third down back, they probably wouldn't move him. Fair enough. All right. A couple comments and then we're going to, it's been a bit, an hour now, so we got to get going. Uh, Our producer, Matt Hutchison has uh, other duties coming up. Uh, I want to make a couple of comments Uh, without DeMarvian Overshone. I don't think Jalen Ford would be, will be as productive this season. I have a feeling it might be Tavondre Sweat playing the entire season as the dominant DT on the team, Sweat walks away with six or seven sacks. You might be right. Uh, I'd, I'd say that. Uh, also, Rob H. says, the School of Social Work facility is the tentative target for the new indoor facility. I didn't know that was out there, but that was the school I was referencing that was re- that I was reluctant to name because I didn't know what was public information and not on that uh, on that category. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for uh, Friday's live stream. Uh, Jerry Hamilton of Inside Texas, Ian Boyd of Inside Texas. Uh, Please like and subscribe this video uh, and uh, join us over at InsideTexas.com for more coverage. Uh, Please remember Paul Wadlington and I also have a video coming out Saturday morning. And then uh, Jake Longy, the new uh, addition to the Inside Texas staff, a former Texas football analyst on the staff at the University of Texas, uh, will be with me on Sunday. Uh, For everybody else here, everybody have a great weekend and hook them.